Welcome to Art of the Kickstart, your source for crowdfunding campaign success. My name is Roy Morjan, president of Command Partners, a full-service crowdfunding marketing agency and your host of Art of the Kickstart. Each week, I interview a crowdfunding success story, an inspirational entrepreneur, or business expert in order to help you take your startup to the next level with crowdfunding. If you're interested in learning what we're all about or kickstarting your own crowdfunding campaign, be sure to visit artofthekickstart.com slash checklist. Here you'll find our entire guide to crushing your campaign and taking your business to new heights. Now let's get on with the show. Welcome to another edition of Art of the Kickstart. Today I have with me the co-founder of one of the cooler projects that has launched in the year 2015, the Pine 64. Today I have co-founder Johnson Jeng with me. And Johnson, I appreciate you joining me and talking about the Pine 64. How's it going, guys? We're totally glad to be here. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I know uh, you guys are working hard, late night, long hours out there. Your campaign is kicking butt right now, about to cross the three-quarter million dollar mark, going to surpass the million dollar mark very quickly here. Hopefully, that's the goal. Did you guys have any idea what, what this campaign success would be to date when you guys launched? Actually, there's a really funny story behind this campaign. So I don't, I don't know how usually you do these interviews, but I can give you a little backstory if you want. Please. All right. So, so my partner, the other co-founder, his name is T.L. Lim. T.L. and myself, we both have other companies that we own and run. And uh, T.L. has been in the media box industry for years. We're talking, you know, the Apple TV stuff before Apple TV. And uh, he's been in the industry for years. And I've been in consumer industry, consumer electronics industry for years. And we both recently were building, we're looking for a, you know, a single board computer type product to build our own products on top. And TL, I believe, is working on some medical device that tracks and helps you know, elders in, you know, for hospitals and such. And I actually have a voice recognition company that we're building to basically process voice recognition data, um, kind of like an advanced Amazon Echo. So I called one of my friends and I asked him, hey, you know, I need to build a very low cost computing platform where I can load and process my voice files. And he was like, well, I don't know much in this industry. And why don't you talk to TL? Because I heard that TL is working on, you know, something similar that, you know, that may, that may help you. And uh, the funny thing was TL was one of my branding clients from maybe 10 years ago. Uh, I helped him brand some of his uh, products in the past. And uh, just so you know, my, my background's in design and branding. And so I gave TL a call and he was like, come on over. Right? And so I went to his office and he was showing me these cool stuff with what he's working on. And he was like, yeah, we, you know, we're working on this prototype. Uh, it's got this factory, you know, it's got all this stuff down. And I looked at the specifications and I was like, this is pretty close to what I need. I mean, a lot, a lot more than what I need, but really close. So I had, you know, I took a picture and this is like maybe nine months ago, nine, 10 months ago. So I took a picture of the board and sent the specifications to my voice engineer. And I was like, Hey, do you think we can build on this platform? 
because he builds on the NVIDIA Tecra platform, which is a little bit, a lot faster computer, and a lot more expensive as well. And at first we were looking at using the Pi, uh, the Raspberry Pi just to build the first prototype before we go into mass production of our own device. So he literally said, well, this product was, you know, it's actually just right. You know, it's, it's really, it's fast enough. It's, you know, hopefully it's not too much. And I asked TL kind of what this thing cost. And TL was like, you know, it costs around $15 US. And that was like, oh, I was like, oh, cool. That's, you know, that, you know, this is cool. I'll just, you know, I'll jump in on board with you. You know, we'll buy a couple. You guys can buy a couple and, you know, we'll kind of mash our two, our, our MOQs, minimum order quantities together and, you know, we'll go from there. And he was like, okay, awesome. And it was like two weeks down the road. I, like, I think it was a dream or something, but I woke up and I was like, what the F was I thinking? You know? And I was like, this is much more than a medical device or much more than just a voice recognition computing platform. So I went back and I called TL and I was like, hey, so um, what do you want to do with this project? Right? What do you want to do with this board? He was like, nothing. He just, he wants to make it for his product. So I kind of sold him on the idea of that this product may be a great product for everybody because, you know, it's similar to, it's similar to Raspberry Pi. It's you know, it's much faster, uh, it's very affordable, and, you know, we might be able to kind of build a company or a platform around this. So he had gave us some thought, and he said, you know, that's probably not a bad idea, except for we don't really have time to really manage all these things. And I just told him, you know what, we'll just, we'll just throw it up on Kickstarter <laughs> and, and see where it goes, because if there's demand on Kickstarter, then I guess we can definitely, you know, put together a real company behind this thing. And he said, fine, that's, that's a, that's a great idea. You know? So like we had been working on this product for ourselves originally. And then we kind of like redesigned it a little bit for more consumable use. And we got the name pine 64 from uh, raspberry Pi. So Pi 3.14 is a non, you know, never ending number. And, the Euler's number, I don't, I, don't actually, I don't even know what it is, but the Euler's number is the other number, I guess, is a never-ending number. So we literally put PI and then N and then E and then called it Pine and then 64, meaning 64-bit. So this project first, became, you know, first started off as a dream for two separate people in two separate companies. And we launched a platform or a a product on Kickstarter that became an overnight, basically one of the most wanted single board computers right now on the market on Kickstarter, I guess. And, you know, we've, we've kind of like managed the stuff between our, both our companies Like we're telling our staff, my staff to work on this project during specific times. And he's telling his staff to work on, you know, the project during specific times. And now it's becoming more and more of a real corporation where you know, we are actually having interviews for full-time people to really manage this and grow, take it to the next level. So going back to the original question, do we know if this was a good idea or did we know this was going to be a success? The answer is no. We didn't know any of this is going to happen. And one of the, one of the main reasons why it's so cheap is originally we just wanted to put this product on Kickstarter with you know, for, first off, we're like, hey, that's that's do the fifteen dollar computer because that's what I need for my product, and that's what he needs for his product. And we're like, hey, let's do this because 
it'll help us a lot with our, you know, minimum order quantities, <laughs> you know, you know, I maybe I need 500, he needs 500, and we'll maybe sell 500 on uh, Kickstarter, and we'll go back to the factory and say, hey, let me order a 1000, you know, 2000 units. And we weren't really looking to make a profit off this. And we were just really saying, hey, you know, this product can be a great benefit to everybody else in the world. And you know, obviously, as things progress, we started talking to a little bit more people and they're just like, hey, you should put in more memory, et cetera, et cetera. And that's when it became a real company was, hey, you know, that's that's bump up the memory. That's make it more powerful. That's, you know, that's sell it as a platform. That's build a community. And that's basically what we did in the last you know two months was build this community of people. And now there's I think there's thousands of you know individuals on our forums now. There's people contributing. We're we're having develop the developer boards made to get sent out, and and it's 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 all like it's all coming to me at like all at once because we you know we were, we're we're focused on making this product a Android working product originally because that's what we need, and then now you have all these you know Linux people, you have the home automation guys, you have the cloud server guys. And, you know, we're getting hundreds of inquiries every day. And it's, it's, yeah, I, I can say it's overwhelming, but it's, you know, it's a good thing because we now we know that we've actually filled this void in the world of having affordable computing products. And I'm really glad that this product can be shipped to thousands of people globally uh, for them to build their own projects, you know? Absolutely. No, I mean, I appreciate the overall and the background. I mean, how did you end up, you know, one of the questions we always inquire is, you know, how did you end up assembling your team? You know, with you and TL coming together, you got both had mutual problems that you were trying to solve. How did you start bringing in some of the other members together in terms of working together on the project? You know, this is, I've, I've worked with a lot of different companies and I, I have a consulting company myself that I consult other products as, uh, you know, other people as well. And you know, it's all about time management and delegations, really. You know, as a, as, a, as a good leader, you have to delegate tasks to the right people, right? And I think that's really how we kind of looked at the pros and cons and the strengths and weaknesses of everybody, really. And for me, I got it. I'll tell you, I mean, I'll tell everybody straightforward. Sometimes I don't know what the hell I'm doing with Pine64 because I'm not, a, I'm not an engineer, so I can't. You know, I'll get questions. People ask me like, hey, can it run this and this? Can I plug this and this into it? And I have completely no idea what they're talking about. And so I'm not an engineer guy. I, I don't know engineering. I don't know programming. I know the basics. I can, you know, I can build a computer. I can run Windows and, you know, I'm good with Macintoshes and stuff like that. But if you give me a Raspberry Pi and say, hey, go build it, go, go build a robot. I'm just like, yeah, go F yourself because I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Right. But right. for me, I'm very good at, creating and painting that picture and creating a brand and driving that, you know, kind of like the marketing and the people to followers behind it, you know, and ensuring that the backers or ensuring the guests or investors or whatever that we're on the right track. And I'm very good at squeezing the last juice out of that lemon, you know, like just basically utilizing everybody to their fullest. And TL, on the other hand, he's he's an engineer, right? He he's he's a developer, he's an engineer, he's a guy that knows all this stuff, but his English is very broken. I mean, he he lives in US and I think he grew up in Malaysia. And his company is based in Malaysia. He actually migrated everybody from US to Malaysia. And 
you know, his product ships, I think, globally right now. So that's why, you know, I think he ships from Hong Kong and Malaysia mostly. But his English is not that great. So when he's answering technical questions where he's answering specific questions, sometimes I don't even know what the hell he's talking about. Right. And it's like a basic question. So we had decided that, hey, you know what, let's go ahead and split engineering stuff to your side. Uh, we have uh, another employee, KH Go. He's, uh, he's our head engineer. He's the one that actually designed and implemented a lot of the chips and the boards. So he's kind of like the magic behind the things. And we basically say, hey, when stuff comes in, we'll delegate any business-related items, any negotiations, sales techniques, uh, you know, distributors, all that stuff. Johnson will handle what Johnson's team will handle. And on engineering development, you know, all this stuff, TL's guys will handle. And we use a variety of different softwares to kind of delegate these tasks. There's a lot of things that you guys, you know, anybody can use. I mean, for like help desk stuff, you know, there's Zendesk, there's Freshdesk, there's a whole bunch of different softwares online that you can use. We use a great company called Teamwork. I think it's just teamwork.com. I'm not 100% sure, but we use a great company called Teamwork. And Teamwork is basically a really cool ticket assigning system. It has a chat system. It's got this ticket assigning system and internal development, you know, upload files. And we use this really to kind of delegate tasks for everybody. And, you know, the, the management guys can kind of log in and kind of see, hey, you know what, this is today's work or this, this week's work, you know, what's behind, what department needs to do what. So, again, it's all about delegation and management and, you know, making sure we utilize each individual to their fullest ability. You know, both of us, we, we all have friends in the industry, I think. TL's one of TL's really good friend is actually uh, Daniel Kotke. Daniel's the twelfth employee of Apple, officially, and uh, that's how kind of how Daniel got on board with kind of discussing what what the original SPC, the single board computers, are like, and you know how it's kind of evolved and how we can improve, etc. Through Daniel, we met Kai, which is the uh, OpenHab CEO, and OpenHab is a home automation software that's an open source software. So we brought Kai on board to kind of, you know, kind of get into the whole automation platforms. One of our other advisors, Chris Loper, he's a Silicon Valley guru. He's been the senior vice president of many, many, many companies in the past, all very famous ones. Uh, you know, he brought Napster to market, Leap Motion, and there's a whole bunch of other companies who's worked with. It's a good friend of mine. And I, you know, we, I kind of look to these advisors for specific tasks and directions because I'm still young and there's tons of stuff that I want to learn. And these guys have been in the market, you know, way longer than I have. <laughs> and so it's, it's always good to learn from them and then implement those ideas and then, you know, kind of teach them down to my staff or my team and, you know, kind of go from there. Absolutely. No, having, having those key advisors is certainly something that's nice. And obviously, the connections that you and TL both have obviously have helped position your product in a place where you guys are seeing great success. So kind of tell us in terms of, you know, you had said this, the ball kind of got rolling very quickly and then you guys decided to launch this out. What kind of prep work in terms of marketing initiatives did you guys do early on to have, you know, the, the awesome success you had on day one and day two? You know, I think this is it's a good question. I get this. I get asked this all the time. And I think we get messages like every day, like two or three messages every day from other Kickstarters, you know, other other guys launching Kickstarter saying, hey, can you cross promote? Can you do this and this? 
the biggest the, and the biggest and best advice I can give anybody is to be patient. That's probably the best advice I can give. And we had a great kind of like argument or discussion, I guess, um, <laughs> about when we should launch this product because December is probably November, December is probably the worst time to launch any Kickstarter or Indiegogo campaigns, really. Um, I agree. And, you know, primarily, I guess it's because the obvious we have Black Friday, we got Cyber Monday, we got Thanksgiving, and then we got Christmas holidays. So, unless you guys can ship the product, you know, like launch it in November or end in like December and then ship by December 20th, it's literally the worst time to launch a product. Could we do better if we launched it, you know, at the peak period, which is like probably April, May, June? Uh, probably. I, I would think that we probably could do more. But at the same time, you know, we know, you know, in this industry, we already know that consumer electronics show, the CES show in January, coming up next week, there's going to be a big group of people launching similar single board computers under different platforms. And right now, it's really the whole first to market kind of strategy, right? So it's actually really funny, because I think it was like three days or four days before we launched Raspberry Pi announced the $5 Pi Zero, which was like, you know, for me, I was like, oh my God, we're, we're totally screwed. You know, <laughs> like, you know, it's like, hey, this guy just launched a $5 computer where, you know, ours is a $15 computer and they're giving these $5 great computers for free, you know? And, you know, it, you look at the specs, you know, they're, they're great. Raspberry Pi is a great company. They have great products and it's kind of, you know, the reason we did this and, the Raspberry Pi Zero has great developers and they have great uses, but it's limited to an extent, right? So when we started thinking about launching this product, we we did the filming first because that was that was the key. You know, the longest thing was creating a really good storyline, creating that film, editing that video. And, you know, I have access to a great video team and they're local. So we were able to film that. And the next thing was creating that marketing strategy. I would say to most people, if if you have the budget, hire a very good PR team. That's probably the best decision you ever make in the Kickstarter campaign. Uh, the PR team is capable of getting in touch of certain and specific markets you want to target and pitch these stories to them. So, I mean, I give you an example, right? So, like for example, I'm on I'm on this interview with you guys and. That's you never met me before. And I, I, one day I just shot an email to Roy and said, hey, Roy, I got this great product. You want to talk about it? Blah, blah, blah. Right. Roy's probably be like, well, I get hundreds of emails every day. You know, I'll take, I'll think about it. As opposed to Elizabeth saying, hey, Roy, I just, you know, I looked at this product. This is amazing. We should talk about it. Right. So obviously, Elizabeth and Roy, you guys have, you know, a lot better relationship between me and Roy. And that's kind of the whole thing behind PR is because a lot of these PR, you know, team and PR companies, they have great relationships with these editors and writers and bloggers, and they're able to call them up on a cell phone, call them up directly and say, hey, man, you know, this is a great product. I think you'll probably want to cover it, et cetera, et cetera. So that's kind of played the biggest effect on the fast growth of Pine64 was to be able to draw, create that buzz, you know, in the background and kind of seed off this information to all these editors and bloggers and et cetera. And kind of say, hey, you know, this is coming. You know, you guys probably want to talk about this because obviously we're benefiting them at the same time. 
you know, because if they're if the editorials or bloggers or et cetera, they're writing about it, people are reading about it and sharing about it, those guys will get more traffic, more users, et cetera. So it's kind of a win-win situation for everybody. And, you know, if there was if there was a choice, right? If we if CES was not in January, if there was a choice, I probably would have waited longer to launch the Kickstarter because I probably have waited maybe three or four months out when we have boards like you know fully functional you know 100% ready boards like production boards that we can show these editorials have them test and play with it and you know write their their comments on these primarily because you know last year and I was going a little bit off track but last year I launched a product for my previous company we we launched a product that was very interesting but then we didn't really have a physical device I mean we had one prototype but we didn't have a bunch of them. And time was as, as an essence at that time. So I just told the PR guys, hey, just go with it, right? And I guess when they launched the product, the buzz wasn't that great because everyone's like, yeah, you know, this seems cool, but, you know, can't really see it, don't really know what it is, can't really play with it, you know, that kind of stuff. And, you know, with the Pine64, we had actually made, you know, I think 20 or 30 boards to kind of send out to some some specific editorials to talk about. And these boards were very pre-production and they weren't, you know, 100% ready, but at least they can see a physical item in their hands. And that's one of the biggest things nowadays is there's a lot of companies on Kickstarter and Indiegogo that launch a product and never come to fruit, you know, fruitation or never, you know, never finish on time or etc. And a lot of the media companies have actually been very negative towards talking about Kickstarter campaigns because it's like kind of like their reputation at play, right? They'll, they'll say, hey, this is a great, this is a great speaker, you know, blah, 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 blah. You know, you guys should listen to it. It's great. Go, et, go buy it. And then for some reason, that company, you know, took like a year and a half or whatever to launch a speaker or never deliver a speaker on time or never the speaker deliver a speaker at all. Then that gave that editorial company a really bad taste in their mouth. Say, hey, why did I write about that? Because now everyone's complaining that I wrote a story that wasn't true. So in terms of prep work, I think everybody should really take their time, you know, get their products, you know, get get interviews, interview other people, show them their product to prove to them that, hey, this is real. You know, this is coming. This is real. And that really will generate a lot of that kind of like trust between the editorial guys and between the consumers as well. Absolutely. Now you've made some great points, Johnson. I think, you know, one of the key aspects of all PR really is the relationship that you have in place. And, you know, one of the tenants at Command Partners are those relationships because we've been doing campaigns for so long, the editorials and the journalists and the media trust us when we pitch and promote these products because they're getting hit up thousands of projects every day. But having that opportunity to, you know, play with the product and, so to speak, rub it on their face, you know, really allows them to build trust with you, the maker, and then actually their editorial staff of actually approving the content to then write about it at the end of the day. Correct. So what's what's next for Pine64? What's next for you guys and the team? You know, this is like the crunch period right now. I mean, I, I have to say, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, I just woke up not too long ago because I, I personally answer I would say 95% of the emails increase right now, and it does a lot of them. <laughs> so I personally answer them right now because I think, I think it gives the backers and give you know consumers and you know pledgers that 
to build that trust, right? You know, what we just talked about to build that trust is that the, the, the person who's behind the project is personally answering these questions and talking to them. And it, it, it takes a lot of time. Uh, you know, I would say easily for me, 20 hours a day, 18, 20 hours a day on this just to kind of catch up. But going on next is to really, really focus on the software development and partnerships that we can create behind this platform. Now, Pine64 is not a software company. We're, we're, we're straightforward hardware, right? So there's a lot of companies that ask us, hey, how come you guys don't do this? How come you guys don't do that? You know, it's not it's not us, right? We're we're building an open source hardware for all these open source software companies to utilize. So, for me, the next step for us is really to get in touch with the software companies, different Linux OSs, then different cloud computing OSs, etc., and build relationships there and drive you know drive awareness to different operating systems, different things that we can kind of put together, get into engineering, get into robotics. There's other companies that build consumer products, you know, consumer educational learning products that utilizes similar boards and they want to talk to us. Uh, one of our main goals is to eventually create a very affordable computer that we can actually ship to third world countries that have less resources. And they'll be able to implement that in their computer labs or their schools and et cetera. I mean, we're, we're running like two and a half watts compared to like a general PC, which is like 200 to 250 or more watts. So imagine if like third world countries with less resources or limited power, we can able to swap out their computer labs and save them 100x on their resources and still, you know, and still execute the same type of software as that they're used to. Uh, I think it really will change the world. And I think, you know, uh, Raspberry Pi does a good job of that. And I think Pine64 would be a good company to take that platform to the next level. I agree. You guys have shaped yourselves up very well. I love the fact that you're personally communicating with all the the backers that you have, you know, close to 20,000 now. Obviously, it's a full-time gig, 20 hours a day. We we get that here. I love the fact that your your funding goal is pi. Any conversation oh, you around that? Huh? that? <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of uh we actually hit a lot of stuff in there. Um I don't know if you noticed, but there's like a 16 16 t-shirt pledge, which doesn't make sense, but uh we stuck it in there. Just so people could see that, you know, this is actually cheaper. A $15 computer is cheaper than the t-shirt. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, and we also put in the $5 Raspberry Pi level, but we put in the $5 Pine 64. We basically just took the first 10 boards out of production that had nothing on there. <laughs> but it's a, it was more of a awesome. joke, but it sold out. It was the first one to sell out, which is funny. So Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I mean, you guys are just crushing it right now. So now brings us into our, our launch round where I ask you a series of rapid fire questions. Ready to go? Sure. All right. So what inspired you to be an entrepreneur? Uh, that's a good question. I, I would say I don't want to call myself an entrepreneur yet, but I guess you can put me, put me in that category. But, you know, my family didn't grow up very wealthy. Uh, we're, 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 we're okay. You know, we live in a decent place. We're okay. My dad works hard. Mom's a te- my mom was a teacher. We moved to U.S. in 1993. She never worked since then. My dad worked hard. He was not a very smart person, but he was a very hardworking person. And for myself, I had friends at school, you know, that were wealthy families. And for me, it's like, hey, you know what? These guys are driving Mercedes and these guys are driving Porsches. 
you know, I don't want my, they don't, I, you know, they don't, these parents doesn't seem like they go to work and I don't want my dad to work. So I told myself, Hey, one day I want to make a lot of money. Right. So my dad can retire because he works too hard. And that kind of drive, that's kind of, that's kind of the drive behind everything. Um, it still is today. So, yeah. So I guess it would be your dad and your parents that you looked up to when you were growing up. Any other influencers? Yeah, um, there's there's a lot of guys, you know, that I've met. I mean, I, I met these guys later on, you know, in my life. But when I was growing up, you know, my family was probably the number one influential group of people that drove me to be who I am today. And it's kind of like a different way how they drove me. You know, how like I have Chinese parents. And I'm trying, I'm not trying to be racist or anything, but they're really mean, you know, like they're, they're really, really mean. And they will yell at me for having bad grades. They will yell at me for doing this and that. Uh, they'll give me timeouts, you know, and for me, I fought back. <laughs> I was like, I was like the asshole that said, you know what? I hate you guys. I don't, you know, I don't like you guys anymore. You guys yell at me. So I never, I really never listened to them. Like everything they told me to do, I like didn't do, you know, like, Hey, do good on your school. Yeah. Screw that. I'm going to skip school. Right. If you get an A on your test, we'll, we'll buy you this. Yeah. Whatever. You know, go get a C. Right. So I was kind of rebuttal kid. And I think that rebuttal kind of built that different drive because sometimes when you're small, your parents will mold you to become who you are. Right. And sometimes it's a good thing and sometimes it's a bad thing, right? I'm not suggesting anybody to say not listen to your parents, but I feel like as a person, as a kid, or as a, you know, as a growing person, you need to listen to yourself and see what do you want to do, right? My parents wanted me to be like an engineer or whatever, right? And I'm just like, I'm not even into any of this stuff. You know, I, I like to play games. I like to go out. You know, I like to skip school, but the funny thing is a lot of these kids that in high school that my friends were in high school that they were all, you know, high school rejects and the detention guys, the Saturday school guys, the expulsion kids, the kids that, you know, illegally sold drugs or weed in the back of the school or cigarettes, you know, or whatever. I mean, these kids fast forward 10 years, every single one of these people that I knew in high school that were always in trouble. They're making like two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars a year, either as a lawyer, as a top sales guy, as a top marketing guy, as a director, because those guys kind of built that drive, you know, and they're they, they built that drive for I don't want to say money, but for money and success, you know, and tough love, and, yeah, yeah, it's tough love, right? And those it's, places, right? And it's not. I, I wouldn't say that's the best best thing to do, but it really depends on what you want to do, right? If you want to work for Apple, if you want to work for Apple, then yeah, you better you better work really really hard in school. You better get your you know degree. You better you better go to a good college. You get to build a good resume, right? Same with Google or Facebook or etc. But if you want to be an artist, right, then go be an artist. You know, like draw, go paint, go spray paint, whatever, right? You know, you, you know, covering yourself in biology books and chemistry books is not going to really help you that much with becoming a graffiti artist. Right. And then, you know what? I don't want to say, oh, graffiti artists are, you know, crappy people. I know graffiti artists that make hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars a year, you know, graffitiing beautiful walls and murals on, you know, public walls, you know, public city walls. And it's really drive and really go after what you love to do. Because ultimately, if you love what you do, you're really not working any day in your life, you know? 
I agree. Well said, Johnson. So where do you see yourself in five years then? Every five years, or every year, every year I tell myself that I'm going to retire in five years. It's, you know, it may or may not be a attainable or unattainable task, but I really want to see if I, if I, if I tell myself that I'm going to retire in five years, then today, right, or tomorrow, I can really drive myself to really retire in five years. Will I really retire in five years? I don't know, right? What is good, right? What is, is, is a million dollars in the bank good? Is five million in the bank good? Is hundred million in the bank good, right? But when you reach those levels, when you reach a $5 million or $10 million level, you're going to be like, hey, why not push for $100 million? Why not push for $500? Why not push for a billion, right? And th- that's, that's the mentality, really, of an entrepreneur is keep driving forward, you know? So what, am I gonna, what do I see myself in five years? I don't know because I don't know, where, I don't know what's going to happen one hour from now or 10, you know, 10 days from now, right? I don't know if I'm going to walk outside and get hit by a bus. Right. Because I would say have really large dreams of where you want to go and remind yourself of that dreams every day of where you want to be in five years. But nobody would really know what anybody's going to be in five years. Right. I mean, I, I, I told myself, hey, I want to be single for for a while because I can finish I can finish on, you know, my my businesses and all this stuff. But then what if like the perfect girl walks by and suddenly just, you know, mysteriously drops to my doorstep and or whatever right and i get married tomorrow right i mean I've, I've seen i've seen friends do that like they go to vegas and then like they don't come back after two days and then like a week later we get like wedding invitations and we're like what the hell right oh boy but, let's not get into that <laughs> no but you know no, no, but put it this way right this is a this is a really fast personal story but one of my family friends she came to us and she lived with my um for, with us for a while I mean, she was like, she's a lot older. She was like 30s, early 30s, right? And basically, she just said, hey, I want to check out the United States, blah, blah, blah. And then I guess when my mom was like, hey, maybe you should meet a guy. So I don't know what happened. But then like, we sold, we sold one of our houses to like this other family. And then something happened. And then that family was like, hey, my brother-in-law is looking for a girl. Do you have anybody to introduce him to? And we're just like, oh yeah, sure. You know, here's here's our family friend. You know, she just came from Taiwan, and you, know, you guys can hook up and kind of talk. And this was like, I kid you not, this was like a Thursday or a Wednesday. It was like a Wednesday. Yeah, it was like a Wednesday when they met. And then like they just met at like a museum, like we you know to the museum thing. And then like Thursday, he was like, hey, do you want to get dinner? Blah 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 blah. Right? He said, yeah. So I kid you not. Friday, she came back and she was packing, and we're like, where are you going? He was like, oh, I'm going to Vegas. We're like, what? He was like, yeah, you know, and so-and-so is going to, uh, I don't want to say their name, it's going to kill me, but so-and-so is taking me to, taking me to Vegas because uh, I've never been there. We're like, oh, okay, cool. So, like, they went to Vegas, right? And it was like, when are you coming back? It's like, oh, we'll be back, like, Monday, right? Like, she came back, like, Wednesday, I think. She came back, like, Wednesday, and she had a freaking ring on her finger. And I was like, oh, my God, you're fucking kidding me, right? And I never thought that relationship would work out because, oh, that's way too fast. You guys just met five days ago, right? But no, we fast forward like 10 years. They got like two kids and a great fappy family and like six cars, you know, and it's anything can happen, really anything. So I I don't want to say, hey, five years, three years, 10 years. I just say, you know what? Keep your goals the same. Keep driving forward. Keep driving every day on that same goal. Okay, because if you're not working every day 
on that goal, it's not really a goal. You know, like if you don't see yourself like five years from now, I'm going to get married, right? If you say five years from now, I get married. Yeah. If you're just going to sit on your ass and be like, yeah, I'm just going to wait for the girl to come. Then yeah, five years from now, you probably, you may or may not get, you know, married. But if you say five years from now, you want to get married, then you're probably every day actively going out, trying to meet new people to see who is your next, you know, your next wife or husband, you know? So just pick a goal, go after the goal. And then drive that goal every day. Doesn't matter when. You know, when you wake up, think about that goal. When you go to sleep, think about that goal. You know? And stay focused. Stay Great focused. advice, there you Johnson. Go. So we're coming to the end. Give us your pitch. Let us know what you're about, where people should go to find the Pine 64, and why should they check you out? Yeah, the Pine 64. This is the uh the most affordable 64-bit quad core single bit uh single board computer. If you don't know what it is, you can check it out at www.pine64.com. That's P-I-N-E, numbers 64.com. If you're not a computer hacker or you're not an engineer, don't worry. This is a very good platform because there's three cups of coffee or lattes to kind of try to be a computer engineer. We support tons of different OSs. And, you know, by contributing, you'll get a board to play with. Awesome. Johnson, I really appreciate you joining our show this afternoon. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. I'm really looking forward to seeing what the final three weeks of the campaign do for you guys. I know you guys are poised for success. So I appreciate you joining us and uh, looking forward to potentially seeing you guys out at CES. Definitely. We'll be at CES. Awesome. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Art of the Kickstart, the show about building a better business, world, and life with crowdfunding. If you've enjoyed today's episode, be sure to visit artofthekickstart.com and tell us about it. There you'll find additional information about past episodes and our Kickstarter guide to crushing it. If you've loved this episode, leave us a review at artofthekickstart.com slash iTunes. It helps more inventors and entrepreneurs find the show and helps us get better guests on here to help build your business. If you need a more hands-on crowdfunding strategy, please feel free to request a quote on commandpartners.com. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you soon.